invite you to take out your copy of God's Word to Ephesians chapter 6. And as you're turning there, uh, let me allow me to bring greetings to you from Trinity Reformed Baptist Church in Roanoke, Virginia. Uh, I haven't had a chance to greet everyone here yet, so my name is Alpheus Atkins, and my wife is with me today, Eva, and it's a, an honor and a joy to be among you, brethren, today. It's been a, a joy getting to know uh, Pastor Paul for the last couple of years. The providence of the Lord put us together in the same host home in Montville Pastor Conference, and since then we've continued to uh, growing our friendship and collectively allowing our churches to get to know one another a little bit. And, and so we've been uh, praying for you all. I've uh, been praying for your elders and for your church, and it's been an honor of that. And, of course, we would covet your prayers for our congregation as well. And uh, we're thankful for that partnership in the gospel. If you would follow along as I, for context's sake, we'll begin reading at verse 13. But our text for the message today begins as 18 to 20. So again, follow along. Ephesians chapter 6, I'm reading from the New King James here, so maybe a little bit different. It looks like most of you are here are used to the ESV, but I think you'll be able to follow along. Paul writes to the church at Ephesus, Therefore take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all to stand, stand therefore, having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, take the shield of faith with which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. And here is our text for today. Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, being watchful to this sin with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints, and for me that utterance may be given to me, that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador, ambassador in chains, then in it I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. That's the word of the Lord, brethren. Let us pray. Our Father, we thank you for this opportunity to worship you this on your Sabbath day. What a delight to be with your people and to hear your word already this morning and to sing your praises. We thank you, our God, for the great salvation which you have bestowed upon us. Lord, who are we that we should be called the children of God? And yet we are, Lord, by your grace, by your mercy. Help us, Lord, we pray, to understand this text today, that we might be able to apply it to ourselves and to our churches. Well, we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I expect there are some among us here this morning have been Christians for a long time. I, I'm on my 29th year as a, a child of God, and I expect that there may be some in here this morning that may be Christians longer than that. Yet I think we probably would all would agree, uh, I think we would, that one of the hardest disciplines for the Christian in the Christian life is that of a strong and consistent prayer life. Without question, it is the most important duty and privilege every born-again child has before the Lord, and it is a duty. But I, count, I probably can count on one hand over my almost 30 years as a Christian how many true prayer warriors that I have met Men and women who've never missed any serious alone time with God every morning or prayed earnestly throughout the day. Men and women who exuded the life of like Paul and, or like John and Peter who you could tell they'd been with Jesus because they were men of prayer. I don't have a chapter and verse for this, but I believe the devil 
would rather have us rememorize the entire Bible and have very sound theology than that we ever get serious about praying. I saw a quote from John Owen, and he said this. He said, he would rather judge a man's theology from his prayers than from his books. And so, brethren, it should be no surprise to all of us that we find the Apostle Paul concluding his very powerful teaching here on the armor of God on, and how to stand in this evil day with a strong emphasis on prayer. In this chapter, from verse 10, the Apostle Paul gives us his final major appeal to the church at Ephesus. In the first three chapters, he opens up the glorious doctrine of our salvation, how the triune God saves spiritually dead sinners, all to the praise of the glory of his grace. And then beginning in chapter 4 to chapter 6, the apostle in his normal fashion will reveal how that knowledge, revealing how that knowledge of this great salvation ought to motivate us to live godly lives. When we consider all that Christ has accomplished for us as rebel sinners to a holy God, we ought to be exceedingly humble people. We ought to love one another and serve one another as the Lord himself loved and served us. Therefore, as we go through, you go through the book of Ephesians, you see how we are to seek to have godly marriages, godly families, and have exemplary lives at work as you study those passages. In all of this, Paul was teaching the church at Ephesus to do was in light of God's great salvation. This is how you ought to live. But Paul knew that it would not be easy. Even though they had the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit, there would also be powerful forces of wickedness arrayed against them in seeking to do all that he's commanded them to do, starting in chapter 4. They would not be able to coast into heaven. They would not survive as a church or grow as a church if they did not fight the spiritual battles God had placed before them. Christ had won the war. He has won it. The victory is already ours. But they and we today are called to wrestle against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. We are never exempt from this, no matter how old you are as a Christian. So from verses 13 to 17, Paul takes up the literary use of several metaphors to show us the kind of spiritual armor that is necessary to do spiritual battle against the devil and his horde of demonic soldiers. We're to put on this breastplate or the belt of truth and the breastplate of righteousness. We're to shod our feet with the gospel of peace and to take up the shield of faith, the helmet of salvation, and that mighty weapon of the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. But Paul adds another piece of armor beginning in verse 18. But he doesn't use a metaphor, and I don't know why. Perhaps there was nothing in the armor to compare it to, or perhaps, as I tend to think, he just wanted to speak plainly. Because one of the most powerful weapons in both defense and offense that we have in this spiritual battle is the spiritual weapon of prayer. Although Paul does not attach a metaphor to this part of the Christian's armor, It is absolutely necessary, brethren, to surviving the attacks of the devil and not falling victim to the evils that surround us. Indeed, it has been said that prayer is what makes all the other pieces of spiritual armor effective. And the old song teaches us this, doesn't it? Put on the gospel armor, each piece put on with prayer. And so if we're to stand, brethren, in this evil day, we must pray. Our enemies are legion and they're spiritual. 
Remember what Paul said, we wrestle not against flesh and blood. The root cause of our trials today, brethren, and our worries and our anxieties is not a lack of a good job or better health, more money. The root cause is often a refusal for us to wrestle in prayer with God. We will listen to sermon after sermon often. We will read books on theology, and many of these things are good and necessary. We can load our minds up with information to become even gluttons for knowledge, but unless, brethren, we give equal energy and true, consistent time to prayer, our knowledge will only lead us to being puffed up and unfruitful. Now, I don't want to present to you today, brethren, another typical sermon on prayer, which we preachers tend to do, that leaves everyone just feeling guilt-ridden, feeling helpless. The truth of the matter is that even those who are those special prayer wars in God's churches will at times feel that they never really pray enough and that their prayers are often weak. Every saint in here knows the weakness of their own prayer life, and better yet, God knows it. But the thing is, brethren, we don't want to approach this with an attitude of being apathetic and indifferent about becoming more serious in our prayer life. Each of us can improve, ought to improve, must improve. The spiritual health of your soul, the spiritual health of the souls of your families, and the spiritual health of your church is dependent upon this weapon of prayer. The same God who ordained the ends, ordained the ends to the means to the ends. And that major end means to the ends of his decree is that we are overcome, we are to overcome the spiritual battles that are set before us by his divine decree through praying, wrestling in prayer. It was recorded in both Gospels, Matthew and Mark, the demon entered a man's son and the disciples couldn't cast it out. And Jesus told them the reason they couldn't do it because this kind comes out not but by prayer. There's some darkness that's just too strong unless there is a real wrestling of prayer with God. Brother, nothing will prove our unbelief in a real devil than a prayerless life. It has been said by many through the years that prayerlessness is really just a practical atheism. Are we not convinced, brethren, that we're still living in the evil day? Look what's going around us in the war in, in, in the world today. There's civil war. Myanmar, there's a major war in Ukraine, mighty nations with all of these masses, uh, weapons of mass destruction. We have countries in the West filled with perversion and drugs and violence. The spiritual hosts of wickedness are indeed very active. And yet the same exact conditions and fears were present in the days of the church, which was at Ephesus. They had no social security. They had no health insurance. No doctors and medicine to run through, run to every time we get a cold or even something worse where we really need a doctor. How were they going to make it? How would they survive? How could they live the Christian life with joy and peace with all of these things that we're so accustomed to in the modern day? They did not have them. How could they live with the peace that passed it all understanding? I'll tell you how, brethren. By taking everything to God in prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, they made their request known to God. And so with that, brethren, I want you to see from our text today four questions that Paul answers concerning the spiritual weapon of prayer. And by these questions and answers, God willing, he will teach us much about how our prayer lives ought to be. And as you might imagine, there's nothing here overly profound. 
No Greek word, which opens up some mystery of what true prayer is supposed to be. Just plain talk from Paul on the importance and the necessity of the most powerful of all spiritual weapons, the weapon of prayer. Paul will answer the question, when should we pray? He will answer, how do we pray? What kinds of prayer should we pray? And then finally, we will look at, Paul answers the question, for whom do we pray? So let's begin looking back at our text. The first question is, when should we pray? Verse 18, praying all ways with all prayer. Now, I won't spend much time here on this particular point, but the scriptures are replete with verses, brethren, that point to the reality that we ought to always be seeking to pray. Every time, every circumstance, whenever there is an opportunity. Our Lord in Luke 18, 1, taught a parable that men ought always to pray and not faint. Paul tells the church at Colossae, devote yourselves to prayer, chapter 4 and verse 2. That was written to the church. And then Paul would conclude it very well to this letter to the Thessalonians. In 1 Thessalonians 5, 17, pray without ceasing. It should never be more than a half a thought away, brethren, that she would be, we'd be ready to pray in a moment's notice. There are many things about prayer that we must learn. It's always an ongoing process for every child of God. You'll never so mature as a Christian that you cannot yet learn something about prayer. The Lord's disciples needed to learn. Lord, teach us how to pray. But no Christian should cease praying or pray less just because you don't think you're good at it. As long as a prayer is lifted up to God in true sincerity, the Lord hears it. He does not answer our prayers based on our eloquence. But the key point here is that we should always be praying. Not just little thoughts lifted up in the car on the way to work, but actual prayer. It should be the first thought to address God in the morning and then throughout the day and before you go to sleep at night. Years ago, I heard a quote from Adrian Rogers. Somebody, some of you may have heard of that Southern Baptist pastor. Apparently, he got this from S.D. Gordon, and he says, You can do more than pray after you've prayed, but you cannot do more than pray until you've prayed. Prayer is to be the first, the middle, and the last of all spiritual life before God. In the Old Testament, the altar of incense was to burn, quote, perpetually before the Lord. And then we're told in Revelation 8 that this, that this altar of incense is a type of the prayers of the saints going up to God. I cannot explain it fully. But it pleases God, brethren, when we come to him in prayer. It is probably because our prayers is the truest act of faith before him. And in Hebrews 11, we're told that without faith, it's impossible to please God. A faithless prayer is a worthless prayer. But praying in faith pleases the omnipotent God of the universe. I don't know how that can be. Little child, maybe 10, 12, 13, 15, no, not a lot of theology, but they lift up their prayer and sincerity to God, and God is pleased with that. More than this theologian Pharisee who may not have a heart for God at all. But we know that the main reason he does enjoy it is because it's through the blood of Christ. And the Spirit and the Savior intercedes for our prayers. And whatever's messed up with them, they clean them up. And so, brethren, we'd always be praying. Indeed, the reason there was so much power in the early church is because that's what they were doing. If you ever read through the back book of Acts over and over again, the church is always meeting. It's always praying everywhere they go. 
Acts 1.14, at the very beginning, it says they, can, they all continued with one accord in prayers and supplication. And then immediately after Pentecost, Acts 2.42, and they continued steadfastly in apostles' doctrine, fellowship, breaking of bread, and in prayers. The word prayed or prayer or pray is used some 28 times in the book of Acts. That's one for every chapter. Pray always. But now the second question Paul answers is how do we pray? And he teaches us here, first of all, that prayer is to be prayed in the spirit. Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit. Now in my Bible, the word spirit is capitalized, signifying that we're to pray under the influence of the Holy Spirit. That means that carnal and self-absorbed prayers will not do. To pray in the Spirit means our prayers must start with the primary desire of not my will be done, but thy will. And only those who actually have the Holy Spirit can pray this way. When our Lord gives us the supreme model for how to pray in the Lord's Prayer in Matthew, he said we're to pray to the Father, your kingdom come, your will be done. This is why every prayer, every supplication we make to God must be checked at the door of our own self-interest, brethren. There's so much, there's too much of us in our prayers sometimes. When our Lord was facing the dark hours of Calvary, he prayed in Gethsemane, Father, if it is possible, take this cup from me. But nevertheless, not my will be done, but thine. In this prayer, our Lord teaches us that we can ask our God for help. We can ask him for relief in the pain and sorrows of life. But even in these things, we must pray, nevertheless, Lord, thy will be done. Another possible meaning of praying in the spirit is to pray in true sincerity. Our Lord said to the, of the scribes and Pharisees in Matthew 15, 8, These people draw near to me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. Again, better our words and prayer to God be slaughtering of the king's English brethren than trying to pray with eloquence, with no heart engagement. Matthew 6, 7, and when you pray, do not use vain repetitions like the heathen do, for they think they'll be heard for their many words. Now, this doesn't mean we shouldn't seek to pray more intelligently as we all mature in the Lord, but praying with sincerity in the heart must come first. And so prayer is to be made in the spirit, but now secondly, prayer is to be made with an alertness of mind. In verse 18 again, Being watchful to this end, Paul says. Again, our Lord teaches us that this is how we'd always be thinking about prayer. There's a sense of this alertness going on. There's a demon behind every corner, as it were, and you have to be prepared to pray at a moment's notice. But there needs to be a watchfulness about it. Luke 21, 36, our Lord says, Watch, therefore, pray always that you may be counted worthy to escape all the things that will come to pass and to stand before the Son of Man. Matthew 14, 37, and he came and found them sleeping and said to Peter, Simon, are you sleeping? Could you not watch one hour? Watch and pray lest you enter in temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. This alertness can refer to all aspects of our prayers. When we pray, we are to be watchful. That it's not a selfish request. That's a part of the alertness. Are you even, do you know what you're praying as you speak to God? Are you evaluating your prayers? Are they carnal? Are they sincere? Are we actively looking for opportunities to pray? In a moment's notice. 
A desire and a willingness to pray on the spot should never be far from our hearts, brethren, no matter who's around us. One of the biggest impacts of my life was about a year, little over a year after I got saved, I went to Liberty University. You had to have three hours of Christian service there, and the only two of them you could pre do preaching in was that was a radio ministry or the nursing home, and I did not want to go on the radio. So a, a gentleman from Thomas Road Baptist Church, it may have been a deacon, I don't know, took me to a nursing home, and it was one of those older ones and tall ceilings. We're walking down the hallway, and there are people everywhere and wheelchairs and nurses and everybody, and we're walking along, and all of a sudden this lady grabs the man's arm that I was with. I wish I knew his name because I wonder I'd love to thank him. Grabs his arm, and she starts talking about all of this stuff that was bothering her, and she was... And in that moment, that man that took me on that little tour to show me how to do nursing home ministry stopped, got down on his knees right there in the hallway, everybody around, grabbed that lady's hand and just started praying. That has such an impact on me that that, that has affected me my entire 29 years of Christian ministry. Everybody around, and yet he stopped and he prayed. He was alert. He was ready. Brethren, could it be that the reason we're not praying more, more fervently, we're just not being alert. Are we not still very needy people? Yet our Lord said that without him we can do nothing. How much are we doing that has not been taken to God in prayer? And can it be that we're overcome by the cares of the world? The Bible gives us many motivating reasons to be praying always. First Peter 4, 7, the end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be serious and watchful in your prayers. I see many of you are young in here, but those of us who are a little older can tell you, and you keep hearing it, but it goes by really quick. Mark 13, Jesus said, take heed, watch, and pray, for you do not know when the time is. It is like a man going to a far country who left his house and gave authority to his servants to teach, to each his work, and commanded the doorkeepers to watch. Watch, therefore, for you do not know when the master of the house is coming, in the evening, at midnight, at the crowing of the rooster in the morning, lest coming suddenly he finds you sleeping. And what I say to you, I say to all, watch, he says, watch. Brethren, I ask you, are you watching and praying? Are you alert concerning your need to pray? Are you alert concerning how you are praying? What is the condition of your prayer life? Are you always evaluating it? Are you always trying to do better at it? Not only it's just time, but quality. It both, both of them matter. Both of them matter. Are you incorporating prayer as a weapon in your fight against the wiles of the devil? Prayers to be made in the spirit is to be with a watchful heart, but now thirdly, prayers to be made with perseverance. It's in the text. Praying always with all prayer and supplication of spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance. For a great lesson on this, I'd like to ask you to turn to Matthew chapter 15, please. Matthew 15. You're aware of this amazing account. Our Lord primarily ministered in, in the Judean area, but he, he's here in Tyre and Sidon and runs into this the Syrophoenician woman. Matthew 15, beginning... In verse 21, follow along as I look at the text with you. He says, and we're talking about persevering here in prayer. 
And Jesus went out from there and departed to the region of Tyre and Sidon. And behold, a woman of Canaan came from the region and cried out to him, saying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely demon-possessed. But then notice verse 23, but he answered her not a word. Well, that was the first strike against her. I mean, she was humble. She was desperate. She had all these issues, and the Lord didn't even, didn't even answer. Now, he knows what's about to happen. All of this is for your sakes and for my sake. He's going to do all, he's going to push back on her, push back on her to see if she will persevere. To see if she believes. He answered her not a word verse 23 and his disciples came and urged him saying send her away for she cries out after us strike 2. I mean she's going to be she's got to be so discouraged now the Lord won't answer her his disciples they they're not they don't want to answer her they didn't want to fool with her at all. I mean, how many of us would have just given up? We know they're Jews. They don't like us anyway. Verse 24, but he answered and said, I was not sent except to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Wow. Why would she keep persevering? Verse 25. And she does, though. And she came and she worshiped him, saying, Lord, help me. Do you notice how long and eloquent her prayer was? Lord, help me. But he answered and said, it is not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the little dogs. Now, that's just that's about as bad as you can get right there. And she could have stopped. I would have stopped. I mean, I'm thinking about my own soul here and thinking, oh, I'm sorry, Lord. I'm sorry. I, I know you're busy. He's doing this all on purpose, brethren. For verse 27, she said, yes, Lord, yet even the little dogs eat the crumbs which fall from their master's table. And as I said, he did it on purpose to see if she believed. And Jesus answered and said to her, oh, woman, great is your faith. Let it be to you as you desire. And her daughter was healed from that very hour. Amen. Brethren, do we think about praying this way? I think the problem is we're not we're just not desperate enough at times, are we? Oh, none of our kids will get demon-possessed. We don't think about those sorts of things today or anything like that. But certainly there is much evil around us. Is it because we're so full of the world yet? Concerned about the political state of things, which, you know, yes, as Christians, we need to be good citizens. But, brethren, we don't even crave heaven's crumbs anymore. Because it shows up and how much we're praying Spontaneous prayer meetings, where are they? Corporate prayer meetings where you come together and you just pray. Brethren, we need to be praying. Well, Paul answers the question when we ought to pray, how we ought to pray. Thirdly, now he teaches us what kinds of prayer we ought to pray. Well, he says in verse 18, doesn't he? Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit. And supplication for all the saints. First of all, we're to be praying generally for all kinds of prayer. That's what he's saying. The Lord's Prayer was taught to us for that very reason. There ought to be adoration in our prayers. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Do you ever spend any time doing that? When you read through the Psalms, you see them doing it. Over and over, they're giving adoration and praise to God. In the Bible, we're taught to confess Forgive us this day 
our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. We're to be thankful. And everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus. You know, I have found that I cannot be thankful and murmur at the same time. And, of course, supplications. He gets specific then, doesn't he? We're to be praying with supplications. 1 Timothy 2, therefore I exhort first of all that supplications, prayers, and intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men. Our Lord Jesus is our great model, brethren. It says of him in Hebrews 5, 7, in the days of his flesh, when he offered up prayers and supplications with vehement cries and tears to him. You talk about hard engagement. And he was able to him who was able to save him from death, and he was heard because of his godly fear. Do we pray this way, brethren, with heart engagement, sincerity, not this memorized thing that, that, that the other, just pray like another man prays, but you're talking to God. Prayers if you're standing in front of him, because you are. That's believing. That's faith. But you pray humble, believing he hears you. How much interceding are we doing for one another in the churches? It's an amazing thing, brethren, that we can ever feel like we're at a place where we don't, well, I just don't know what to pray for. You know, you go around the room and say, okay, your turn, brother, and you feel it coming, and you're like, well, what am I going to pray for? What am I going to pray about? You don't, know, you don't know what to pray about. Do you know anybody that's lost? And usually we get like this, don't we, brethren, when the things are going pretty good in our lives. And then when it isn't, we want everybody to intercede for us. Well, brethren, this actually takes us to our fourth question and answer. For whom do we pray? First of all, Paul says that we are to be praying for all the saints. And so, brethren, I feel sure that this is what generally what he means when we think about praying generally for the kingdom of God at large. As you pray for us in Roanoke, as you pray for neighbors, and as you pray for people in uh, foreign countries in mission work, and I, I've, Paul's mentioned himself going to some places, and that's that's praying for all the saints because it's not just us four no more. Christ has his children in many places, and we ought to be praying for them. But now, secondly, brethren, specifically, and I think primarily in this text, that we're to be praying for one another in our own church. It's a commandment. James 5.16, confess your trespasses to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. Brethren, you are to always be praying for one another in your church. It's a positive command from the Savior. What a marvelous day we live in. I have grown to love my church directory. We have to update it. Thank God. Everybody, so praise every year. We, the Lord answers, uh, adds a family or two. So we have to update it. We're thankful for that. At least that's what's happened in the past, and of course it could change. But I get a digital copy of it, and I, I save it, and I put it on my home screen on my cell phone. So wherever I go, I have my prayer list with me. And we encourage through our pastoral oversight with all of our members every year. Uh, are you praying for one another? You have your church director. Just go through the list. Take a couple families. Every week we have our elders meeting and Pastor Timothy and I, my fellow elder, go through the needs and necessities of what's going on in the moment. We'll pull it out and we'll just go through the sheep and just look at each family and see which one needs prayer today. Let me encourage you, brethren, to pray for one another. 
Nothing will so warm your hearts and affections for one another in this church than each of you praying for one another on a regular basis. It'll strengthen you. It'll increase the joy of your fellowship when you gather on the Lord's day. Ask one another how you can be praying for each other. So for whom should we be praying? Well, for all the saints. But now notice, secondly, Paul teaches us to be praying for all those who minister the gospel. Verse 19. He says, and pray for me that utterance may be given to me, that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel. Now, this is awfully obviously would apply to the elders, but it also applies to any who give the gospel to someone else, as I hope many of you do. The gospel message is a very powerful weapon in and of itself. We know how offensive it is to sinners. And that whenever you begin to proclaim it and share it with somebody, you start feeling the tension in the room. It just, it's discards, it just gets uncomfortable. It provokes enemies of God to persecute his people because the gospel is just that offensive. And so it's no wonder that Paul's asking for prayer as God used him to preach it. Now, Paul's request is a very interesting one if you think about it. Primarily because here he is in prison when he writes, and his request wasn't to be set free. He wasn't asking them to pray that God would deliver him from his negative circumstances in life. Now, he's done that in other places, in other uh, letters that he's written, but he doesn't do it here. His request was twofold. Number one, that God would give him spirit-led words. The word utterance here in the New King James is simply the word common known as logos. Sometimes it's referred to as the living word of Christ, but it's the word for word. Now we can conclude here, brethren, that Paul is asking for us that, that it is for the church to pray that God would bless and attend his preaching of the gospel. For the Lord to make his preaching effectual. Now Paul was a very smart man. He was a theologian's theologian. So we have to be concluding here that what Paul is asking for is something amazing. He would not have been a loss for words. Preachers never are. Well, why was he asking for prayer, for, for word, for spiritual word? Because he knew that unless the Holy Spirit attended his preaching, there would be no impact. Unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who build it. Paul had felt on many occasions the Holy Spirit aiding him in his preaching. And he was very, very fearful of ever preaching without that help from God. He tells the church at Corinth in chapter 2, verse 3, I was with you in weakness and fear and in much trembling. And my speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of human wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power. Why did he want that? So that their faith would not be in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God that they would believe because the Holy Spirit was working through truth, not through some charismatic speaker. Are you praying for your elders? Do you pray for one another as you declare the gospel to your neighbor? This, is, this power in proclaiming the gospel is the work of the Holy Spirit. It's granted via the prayers of God's people. The gospel is the power of God unto salvation. But we're called to pray, to undergird that word with prayer. And so Paul asked for the spirit-led words, but notice he also requ requested prayer for boldness in verse 20, 19 and 20. That I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel. Verse 20, 
for which I'm an ambassador in chains, that in it I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. Paul wanted to speak without the fear of man. He wanted to speak without compromising the message. He wanted to speak plainly and bluntly, which is what the word boldly here implies. Brethren, the gospel is so powerful that the fear of man can be so intimidating that even the apostle Paul didn't want to preach it without divine help of the Holy Spirit. He says he's an ambassador in chains, which means he was a representative of Christ and Christ's kingdom. He had already stood before, the gov before go several governors and civil magistrates, each time declaring to them the gospel, which was, got him in trouble in the first place, which is why he's in Rome in prison in the first place. And now he's potentially going to stand before Caesar, Nero. Nero, all he had to do was just go like this, and Paul was gone. How easily it is for those who have power over our physical lives to cause us to tremble and to cower in fear. Brethren, if we preach the gospel to others without spiritual boldness from the Holy Spirit, we will either compromise it because of fear or it will not have any effectual power in it at all. To bring this closer to home, take this very text, brethren, and take out the Apostle Paul's name and put in your elders. If the kingdom is to advance through the preaching of the gospel in this place, it will not be because of the eloquence and power oratory of us as preachers, but because the Holy Spirit is working through his servants by your prayers. You're praying. Pray every Saturday night for your pastors. Pray for them. That God would give them help. They would be bold but compassionate. Those are the two things I ask all the time. I, my last sermon I preached, I, I told them, my, our congregation, I said, I need your prayers. I said, I, the two things that I need is boldness so that I won't compromise the text, but then that I won't beat the sheep and get so hard. I need you to pray that I'll have compassion on the multitudes like my Savior did. Every preacher needs those two things. And so, brethren, when do we pray? We pray always. How do we pray in the spirit with a watchful heart, with perseverance? What kinds of prayers ought we to pray? All kinds, giving focus upon supplications. And for whom should we pray? Pray for all the saints. Pray for one another. And brethren, please pray for those who minister the gospel. Now, by closing applications, just let me share a few remaining things with you. The first thing I would say to you is to take up your weapon of prayer. It is a positive command. It is a sin of omission when it is not being done. Brethren, we have not because we ask not. What does your church need? What does your church want? I know what you want. You want God to be glorified in this church. And he's glorified when sinners are brought to saving faith and the kingdom is being built and it begins in prayer. So make your, house, your heart a house of prayer talked about the zeal of the Lord in Luke 19 it says he went into the temple began to drive out those who sold it saying to them is written my house is a house of prayer but you've made it a den of thieves what about your heart brothers and sisters is it a house of prayer what goes on in it are we already thinking about lunch already thinking about work Monday it's a battle I, I sit in the pew too when my pastor's preaching and I know the struggle you have to wrestle. Make your heart a house of prayer to God. Clean out 
the money changers. Of course, lastly, brethren, I would say and exhort anyone here, maybe not be saved. I don't know everyone here. Maybe it's someone who thinks they're saved, but maybe you're a practical atheist because you're never praying. You don't pray. This is the link, I believe, between God's predestination and human responsibility. God doesn't hold you responsible to find out whether you're elect or not, but he will hold you responsible for every sin you've ever committed if you don't repent and believe Jesus Christ as your Lord and as your Savior. Would you be like the Syrophoenician woman? Lord, have mercy on me. Are you desperate? Are you in great need? Well, then it's going to cause you to have to be humbled, to be willing to take just the crumbs. See, this is the reason sinners don't come to Christ, because they're not desperate. Most of us came that way, didn't we? You know, a hog won't look up until he's on his back. That was me. But then we cry out, and the blessed Savior always answers. And he'll answer you, church, because you have needs. May God bless this church. May God raise up many for the glory of his own name. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for the spiritual weapon of prayer. Forgive us, our Father, for not making use of it, for not growing, learning more about praying. Lord, giving ourselves to it. We truly have so little because we pray so little. Our God, we pray you would hear the prayers of the saints in this church, that you would be, Lord, so gracious to them to fill their hearts with joy and peace while they labor and to serve one another, even as you have served and loved them. God, we ask your blessings upon them in Jesus' name. Amen.